Precious Father, You are amazing. God, there is none like You. Father, You are indescribable. Um, though our words do as well as words can do to attach meaning to the infinite, almighty God. And Lord, I pray tonight that, Lord, you will take your eternal truth that is contained in your eternal word and that you will open our hearts to it and Father, I pray that you will give us understanding that your Holy Spirit will guide us into truth, will illuminate our minds. Because apart from you, everything we read in your scriptures, it's of no use. Apart from your Holy Spirit revelation. So, Father, I pray that you will be gracious to us tonight. That, Father, you will open up the truth of Matthew 5, 6 to our hearts tonight. And then, God, that you will help us to be conformed to that truth and that reality. Father, it is in the name of Jesus that I pray. Amen and amen. We'll take your Bible, your copy of God's Word, and turn with me again to Matthew chapter number 5. Matthew 5. Um, I originally had intentions of going to Psalm 37 tonight and helping you further understand um, this issue of meekness by looking at that phrase, the meek shall inherit the earth, out of its Old Testament context in which Jesus quoted from. Um, in the Beatitudes, but we're not going there. Uh, this week, as I uh, had the joy of, of just marinating in Matthew 5, 6, I realized that there's no way under the sun I can communicate to you all of what God is planning in my heart. There's no way I can do it in a single service. So, uh, this morning, we, we, we looked at verse 6. And verse 6, which is our text, is simply this. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And so we looked at that. There are two, I, I just wanted to ask two questions of it. I said, I wanted to know what is the righteousness for that which we are hungering after. That's question number one. That's what we looked at this morning. Then I said, I want to come back tonight and ask the question, what is this hungering and thirsting after that righteousness? What is it? And so this morning we, we did look at that term. We zeroed in on that phrase, righteousness. And I told you there's a lot of, a lot of misunderstanding about the term, just the word righteousness within itself, that um, it's not a simple reference to a code of morality. It's not simply about rules and regulations. If that's all it was about, then Jesus wouldn't have told us what he says in verse 20 later on down in chapter 5 when he says, guys, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, 
She said, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. And we talked about just how externally righteous they were, those students of the Old Testament Scriptures. And so it's not simply referring to that. But I showed you that that, that righteousness begins in, as a reference to a person. Um, that we are to, it begins with seeking after Jesus Christ, the righteous one, as the, the Scriptures call them. That that righteousness is a positional righteousness, because it's a perfect righteousness. And the righteousness that we can receive from Christ as we receive Him. In our lives. But then lastly, it is a righteousness in our practice because it does affect what we do. Righteousness is what we do if we have been born of God. Not perfection, but it is our practice and that is our inclination and our longing. So we looked at that. But the text tells us that happy or approved are those that are hungering and thirsting. After that righteousness. I suppose my question is for you personally. Are you hungering and thirsting after that righteousness? What does this mean? This hungering and thirsting after righteousness. This is a a pertinent question of the text because this is the action. This is what we should see. This is what we should see flowing out of us. Um, If we have been poor in spirit, we realize we have nothing to offer God. And so we realize we have nothing but our sin and our shame. And so then we mourn over that. We're blessed and we're comforted in that and we're humbled. We're meek before God as a result of that grace that has flown in. Beginning in verse 6, we start to see some things to flow out. And one of them is this hungering and thirsting for righteousness. So the question for the night is this. What is it to hunger and thirst after righteousness, righteousness as we defined it this morning. What is this? Well, the historical context behind the Sermon on the Mount kind of helps us feel the absolute weightiness of this idea of hungering and thirsting. Um, the common people in Jesus' day, royalty may not have been able to identify with this, but the common people could. Um, they knew what it was to really be hungry at times. They knew what it was to really be thirsty at times. Now, we spoiled Tuscumbians, Americans, Sholians, whatever you want to call us here in the Shoals, um, we don't always understand what that is because when we are hungry or thirsty, what do we, all we have to do is get up and go to the kitchen, open the refrigerator, you know, get, get us a Coke, tea, uh, go to the faucet or get us a bottle of water and, and we drink when we're thirsty. Or, we, or if we're really hungry and we want a warm meal, we don't even have to get off of our recliner. We can simply take our phone and with one of these new apps out there, order us a hot meal and DoorDash bring it right to your door. My next door neighbor does that. He, he, he does that on the side, take, you know, work, you know, carrying meals to people's houses through DoorDash. Um, 
But uh, anyway, we, we don't really understand that. See, if we're hungry, we do, we do those things. But when Jesus uttered these words, the common people, the common man, was not blessed with such food options like getting up, going to the refrigerator, or ordering a hot meal that would be delivered to their door. They didn't identify with that. You see, at the time of Jesus... These words, when he says, blessed are you who are hungry and thirsting after righteousness, it carries with it a special intensity. They knew really what it was to hunger and thirst because for the common man, day in and day out, they didn't necessarily know where their next meal or their next drink were coming from. They were always one step away from true starvation and true dehydration. So when Jesus said, blessed, happy, approved, are you who hunger and thirst for righteousness? They felt the weight of it. They felt the weight of it. In a way, I don't know that, that we can fully. Now, Jesus knew that... Centuries down the road, when people are reading Matthew 5, 6, not everybody is going to be a nerd like me and want to go back and understand the historical context. Feel the weight of it. He knows everybody that's not going to do that. So, that, I think that's part of why Jesus, when he spoke this beatitude, he says it the way that he says it. Let me explain to you what I mean. Jesus could have said, Blessed are you who hunger after righteousness, for you'll be filled. But he didn't say that. Jesus could have said, Blessed are you who thirst after righteousness, for you will be satisfied. But he didn't say that. What did he do? He used both terms. Blessed are you who hunger and who thirst for righteousness' sake. He, he sort of gives this double, double wording for this desire that we should have for righteousness. And whenever you see something doubled up, we un that, that is to intensify what he is trying to communicate. Now, some of us knotheads still wouldn't see that. But nevertheless, it illustrates for us the intensity of what he is calling us to do. This hungering and this thirsting after righteousness. Now... This is important, I think, for us to see this. The intensity in that text. Jesus is not asking us for some casual, genteel walk over to the overstocked kitchen to satisfy our hunger and thirst. Jesus is calling for a body-aching thirst and overwhelming starvation for righteousness. As we looked at it this morning. A desperate hunger for righteousness. With this in mind. I want us to think about this hungering and thirsting. This desiring and longing for Christ. Who is the righteous one. And the righteousness that he provides. And seeing that. Wanting to see that righteousness of Christ. Christ's life literally lived out more and more in our lives. We should be hungering and thirsting for that. So let's, let's think about that. There, um, the first thing I would note about that. Um, I, I, try, I sat down this afternoon and thought. How do I package this? truth here and uh, 
the first thing, and there are about four things that I want to give you, four major things. Um, and the first thing is I want you to see the picture of this desire. Hungering and thirsting is the desire, this desire. I want you to see a biblical picture of the scripture of this desire because in the scriptures, when you look at the saints in the scriptures, we often see this desire being expressed in their lives. We see this desire being expressed in their in, in their lives, and and there are three um, biblical characters that came to mind that express that. Now there are more, you can see it in more places, but I just want to draw your attention to three of them so that you see this being played out in their lives. And then I pray that we would pray that we would see the same desire and thirst and hunger for God being played out in our lives. Okay? Now the first one, and probably the best, the best illustration of it, because it explicit because he explicitly talks about thirsting after God and hungering after God would be David, King David. As a matter of fact, several times in the Psalms you find him crying out like this to God. Um, for example, and I, I want to show you, first of all, go back to Psalm 63. I want you to see this. You see this hungering and thirsting. And of course, um, this is an Old Testament saint, so he doesn't understand completely the righteousness as we talked about it this morning as we have now with the revelation of the new covenant. But nevertheless, it is the same thing. Okay? It's the same thing. In Psalm 63, this is David, and David says in verse number 1, O God... You are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. In a dry and weary land where there is no water. <laughs> Can you hear the intensity of that? He's in a land where there is no water, but he says, God, I am thirsting after you more than anything. I long after you more than anything. I have a deep inner passion for you that supersedes all things. Oh God, my God. Do you hear that in his cry? He's real, folks. He's not just saying stuff to be saying stuff. You hear that? That is one of those verses of Scripture that when I was a youth pastor, God really hammered me with and awakened within me a great hunger and desire for Him. As a matter of fact, it was one of these, that used to be one of our sayings that we would say as a, as, as, as a group, Oh God, you're my God. My soul, it thirsts for you in hopes that it would awaken in them the reality of that. Because too often we spend time chasing appetites for things that are far lesser than God, even though they might be good. David expresses this thirst for righteousness, the righteous one. Um, another famous place where David um, illustrates this is back in Psalm 42. You... Uh, if you, if you uh, turn back, digress back to Psalm 42, this is another one of my favorite passages of Scripture. 
It's just dripping with intensity. David says, as the deer, as a deer pants for flowing streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for you, for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Wow. Do you hear that? Like a deer, like a, like, a, like a wild deer panning after water on a hot summer's day. He says, my soul, my heart, my life, I thirst for you, God. I want you, God. I'm hungry, I'm thirsty, I'm panting after you, God. You are the desire of my soul. I'm longing for you. Do you know something of that? Do you, do you, you know something about desire and longing. You know something about passion. But too often it's for a lot of other things other than God. Do you know something about that desire and longing for God? Hungering after God who is the righteous one. Because that is how we hunger and thirst. For righteousness. Do you know something of that? David did. David also, I like something David said in Psalm 27. If you go on back to Psalm 27, you see this again in, in David's life. Um, down in verse, uh, verse 4, I love the way David says this. He says, one thing, one thing I have asked of the Lord. That will I seek after. Here it comes. What's, what's this one thing he's asking of God? What's this one thing he's seeking after? Here it comes. Listen to what he says. He says, That I may dwell in the house of the Lord. But that's not where it stops. Listen. He says, All the days of my life. But that's not where it stops. Here it comes. Here's the good part. Here's why. Here's why he wants to dwell in the house of the Lord. Here's why he wants to do it all the days of his life. Here it comes. To gaze upon the beauty of Yahweh, of the Lord, and to inquire in his temple. Now, did you hear that? Because a lot of people won't go to the house of the Lord. And a lot of people want to do it all the days of their life. But David went not for the sake of going to the house of the Lord for the house of the Lord or to going or, or, or just simply because that was the right thing to do. David did it so that he could gaze on the beauty of God. He desired God. He had seen the beauty of God. He had tasted and he had seen that the Lord is good. And he wanted Him. So David is a good biblical illustration of that and I would simply ask you again do you desire God like this do you do you hunger and thirst for Jesus Christ the righteous like this or do you get this or do you desire the things of God more do you desire the blessings of God more than the God who gives the blessings? I can't answer that for you, but those are things we need to think about. Those are things that we need to consider. 
Which is it? Do we hunger and thirst for a religious system of doctrine more than we do the God of that doctrine? Do we have to think about those things? We must be careful. Moses is another good example of this. Over in Exodus 33, we see Moses hunger and desire God Himself. You're very familiar with this passage. Um, in Exodus 33, um, beginning in verse 12, it says, Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and that you have found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, I have found favor in your sight. Please show me your ways that I may know you in order to, to find favor in your sight. Do you hear what he's crying out? He says, I want to know you, God. I want to know your ways. And later on, says Moses says in, in verse 18, Moses said, please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim to you my name, the Lord, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will show mercy to whom I will show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face and live. And the Lord said, but the Lord came and the Lord passed before him because the Lord, the Lord knew the desire of Moses' heart. Moses said, I want to know you. I want to know you. A New Testament example of this, I think, would be the Apostle Paul. Over in Philippians chapter Three, Paul talks about how he counts all things rubbish for the knowledge of Christ. And then he cries out, and, and this is one of my favorite verses, where he cries out to him. And this has been one of my prayers of my life, sometimes more, more intense with it, more intentional with it than others. But he cries out and he says, I want to know you. I want to know you. I want to know you in the power of your resurrection and in the fellowship of your sufferings. This is the Paul that met him and had his world turned out upside down on the Damascus Road. Years later, Paul is still saying, I want to know you, God. I want to know you. He hungered after God. Now, this hungering and desiring after God, this pattern, this is a pattern that should be seen in our lives. This is the result of grace having infused our hearts. Righteousness has been imputed to us. Now righteousness is imparted to us. It is a glorious thing. Now, getting back to Matthew 5. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. In looking at that text within itself, we see something about this desire for righteousness, which I tell you is really a desire for the righteous one, God. We see the persistence of this desire. The persistence of this desire. You see, this desiring of the righteousness, this is not a one-time event. It's not like we starve for Jesus one day and uh, thirst for Him no more. The next. That's not what this truth. This is a persistent thirst. 
This is a persistent hunger. This is a perpetual desire. Now I will say this, it is a desire that will fluctuate, but if it is a desire that dies, then you never desired God and His righteousness to begin with. But it is a persistent thing. You say, how do you know that's God? The Greek grammar makes it quite clear that this is a persistent desire for God. Because you see, the verbs that are used for hunger and thirst, they are in the present tense. And when you find these verbs in the present tense, it means they are a continuous action. It's an ongoing action. As a matter of fact, if you wanted to translate that verse literally from those Greek verbs, it really wouldn't be, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. It would be, Blessed are those who are hungering and thirsting for righteousness, for they will be filled. It is an ongoing, perpetual desire. That should be in our lives. The true Christian. The one who is. A part of the kingdom of God. For theirs is the kingdom of God. They're in this. Pericope of scripture here. It's describing for us. In the Beatitudes. The character of the kingdom. Those that fit within these parameters, they will be hungering and thirsting for God. Now, it would be wrong of me, and it would be dishonest of me, if I did not tell you what you already know. This desire and this hunger after God and His righteousness, it rises and it falls. It rises and it falls. Sometimes it's real strong, sometimes not so much. It fluctuates. But our our great task is to do that which we can do according to Scripture, intentionally do, to help promote that desire. And that's what I want to wrap up with when we get to it. I want to leave you with some practical things you can do to help fan the flames of this desire, lest we find ourselves in a place, in a position that we never want to find ourselves. So we'll think about that. But... uh, Before we do that, I do want to note out of the text the paradox of this desire. Like all the other Beatitudes, they they present you with an irony, a paradox. Uh, You know, isn't it ironic the poor inherit a kingdom? Isn't it ironic that those who are hurting and mourning, they're comforted? Isn't it ironic that those who are meek will inherit the earth? And now isn't it ironic that those who are hungering and thirsting, there will be filled. But yet they're hungering and thirsting always. 
and being filled always. <laughs> what is that? You know? It's paradoxical in its nature. Um, let me explain it like this. And this is the, the best way I know how to explain it. And I'll just go ahead and tell you all illustrations of any spiritual truth break down on some level. You can pick it apart. Just know that. Nothing perfectly expresses and grabs hold of infinite realities. But the best way I know how to explain this is, for, for me, is, is like this. Anyone who knows me knows that I'm a cookie monster. Right? Yeah. You know, I love cookies. I eat too many cookies. Okay? One of my all-time favorites is an old-fashioned tea cake. Uh, my great-grandmother, Amy, uh, she used to make them, and she used an old family recipe. I mean, one that dates back, goes back to the, the late 1800s and was used by someone they called Cousin Idalia. I have that recipe, and I cannot replicate it. I cannot make them taste like what she made them taste like. But, oh, I loved them. They were so good. Um, I, I used to would walk into my uh, great-grandmother's house and, and, and on a day that she had been making those tea cakes, and I could smell that aroma. And Oh, I could not wait to bite into one. I would hunger. Wouldn't be thirsty. I'd be thirsty after it, but I'd be hungering, okay? for one of those tea cakes and I would walk in there and I would, I would pick up one of those warm tea cakes and I would bite into it and as that tea cake touched my taste buds, wow, that was satisfying. But yet I would be satisfied but having eaten one and being satisfied and tasted and seen that the tea cake was good, guess what? I would want another one. I'd want two, and two would turn into three, each time being satisfied by the taste on my tongue. But I would want four, and I would want five, and I'd, you know. But Jesus, okay, is infinitely greater than an old-fashioned tea cake. Like a, 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 a billion, gugillion times greater, okay, than a, a tea cake. And when we taste and see that the Lord, He is good, we are satisfied but we want more. We're like Paul. We have our lives changed by the living Christ. He impacts our lives wherever we're at and wherever we are. And He changes us, but yet we still, like Paul, years down the road, I want to know you in the power of your resurrection and in the fellowship of your sufferings. I want to know you. In that sort of the paradox is here. This righteousness that we discover only in Christ, who is Christ. You know, we, we, we discover Him like the woman at the well in John's Gospel chapter 4. You know the woman, she was a Samaritan. Jews weren't supposed to associate with Samaritans, but Jesus broke all religious codes and rules. You know the woman. The woman who had five husbands and she was probably shacked up with the sixth. Jesus knew it. Yet Jesus didn't start asking her and lecturing her, what in the world were you thinking, woman? 
No, he addressed her need, and he said, Woman, this water, it's good. you're going to be at the well, you're going to be thirsting for it over and over and over and over again. But he said, I come to give you living water, and whoever drinks of this water will never thirst again. And he's absolutely right. But when you find the satisfaction of thirsting after the living water, you want more and more and more and more. Blessed are those who are hungering and thirsting after righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Wow. Now, fourth thing I would leave you with is a plan. A plan for promoting this desire. Um, the desire, as I said, and you know, it fluctuates. It rises and it falls as it persists through all. Um, there is no better illustration of this fluctuation of desire than David, who was a good example of this desire. We see it in his life. He knew what it was to be satisfied in God. He knew what it was to hunger and thirst after God, like a deer that pants after a water brook. Yet, rather than intentionally protecting that desire, he sunk down a slippery slope where he had to be restored to the joy of hungering and thirsting after God again. He wasn't careful. Um, matter of fact, John Bloom, one of the staff writers for Desiring God Ministries, wrote of David when he was, wrote an article on Psalm 63 where David cries out, O God, you are my God, earnestly I seek you, my soul it thirsts for you, my body it longs or faints for you. He said this of David, and I quote him, he said David didn't always feel this way. When he was at the height of his success, he was wealthy, sated, and secure in his reign. His soul then lost its desperate thirst for God. And what happened? Bathsheba became an enticing and intoxicating soul beverage. He did something in his prosperity he would have never done while wandering in the weary, waterless wilderness. He drank from the broken cistern of sexual immorality, end quote. Now, David is an extreme example of what can happen when we do not intentionally protect our desires for God. He is an extreme example, and I hope that in the times of fading desire for God, it doesn't result in that kind of tragedy and pain in your life. But there are some intentional things that we can do to help. And even having a list of some intentional things, guess what? It's still a fight. It's still a fight. It's still a fight. Let me, let me, let me just give you some. And by the way, this is not an exhaustive list. Okay? I don't even know that it's the top of the list. It's just the five that stood out to me as I thought about it. But number one thing that we should practice daily in our lives intentionally to protect our desire and hunger and thirst after righteousness is daily 
repentance and confession. Okay, when you sin, don't let it linger. Repent quickly. Confess, agree with God about the evil that you have done and let it break you. For He is faithful and He is just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But you see, you let it linger. It breaks fellowship with God. I did say it breaks your relationship, but it breaks fellowship with God. And there's distance. And it's hard for us to cultivate a hunger from a God that deep down inside our conscience is bothering us and we become very much afraid. But the one who has fear like that is not perfect in love because fear has to do with punishment. But and there's a whole lot of things that go on. Satan and demons will hound us and they will hound you and, and, and put thoughts and pictures in your mind to try and further bring you down a road of running from God rather than panting after Him. So, I would tell you repentance and confession. Second thing, not that it's second in order, it's just the second thing, we need to regulate the good things in our lives. Sometimes it's not so much sin that's killing our desire, but it's we are allowing good stuff and blessings from God to so much impact and fill us up that we draw it out and we push out desire for God. Because we're not enjoying those things for the glory of God, we're just simply enjoying it to be enjoying it. I like what Piper said in his, uh, on page 18 of A Hunger for God. I quote him. He said, the greatest in, in his opinion, he says, the greatest enemy of hunger for God is not poison, but apple pie. It's not the banquet of the wicked that dulls our appetite for heaven, but the endless nibbling at the table of the world. It's not the X-rated video, but the primetime dribble of triviality we drink in every night, end quote. Be careful what we consume, even that which is good, for it can affect our appetites for God. The third thing is... Be involved in a local church. I didn't say attend, but be involved in a local church. This is part of the reason why the writer of Hebrews says, Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together, but rather encourage one another on until the day. And so we together, corporately as a community, encourage one another in our hunger and desire after God as we are involved in community together as the body of Christ. Then I would suggest to you prayer, but I don't mean just any prayer. Pray the Word of God. I talk a lot about that on Wednesdays. Pray the Word of God. Take a, pa take, take a passage. Like I was telling you, one of the things I would pray often would be what Paul said in, in, in Philippians chapter 3, that I may know you, Christ, in the power of your resurrection, in the fellowship of your sufferings. Take it, personalize it, and pray it. Pray it. 
then I would fitfully encourage you to meditate. And by that I simply mean think deeply on and think on. Direct your attention and your thoughts to the goodness of God. The goodness of God. The goodness of God. The Scripture talks about taste and see the Lord. He is good. Taste. Meditate on His goodness. His goodness in His character. His goodness is, is, is displayed in the sacrificial death of Jesus for us. The ultimate demonstration of His love while we were yet still sinners. Think on things like that. How is your hunger and thirst for God? How is it this evening? Jesus says, blessed, blessed are those. Emphasis really only those who are hungering and thirsting after righteousness. Not a code of morality, but the righteous one and the righteousness he provides and the righteousness that we become, we won't live out in our lives. Blessed are you. Let's pray together. Father God.